Good morning. How y'all doing? I'm doing okay. Good to see you. Good to see you. Glad to be here. Y'all, I know there's a um, clock up here, but I'm putting my phone up here too. Because what, thank you, Greg. What he didn't tell you is I'm, I'm a storyteller. And if I don't pay attention to the time, y'all will start dipping out. So if, if, so if, if you need to go, do what you need to. But I have my phone with me to try and give myself an extra layer of accountability. So thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Greg captured beautifully some of my connections to North Central up until this time. There's a few students and faculty and staff here who I love, who I've gotten to know over the years. So I'm glad to be here. But if I can be honest, can I just tell you, I just love college. Um, I love the fact that I can eat in the dining center. I don't have to shop for it. I don't have to put it in the car, take it out the car, get it in the house, put it in the fridge or pantry. I don't have to wash the dishes. I don't have to prepare it. I love that about college. <laughs> I love the archives and the libraries. I know you're like, really? The library? But I do. I really love the libraries and the archives because I like to learn. Anybody have input in StrengthsFinder? I have input. I like to take in information. Um, there's lots of things that I love about college, so much so that I've spent most of my adult life on a college campus. Um, so I spent, um, well, I've been at the U for almost two years now. We can go to the next slide. Yes, I, I love college. We can keep going. So I've been at the U for almost two years now, and prior to that, spent five years at Bethel. I'm still super connected to a lot of my students there. They are my babysitters. Um, before Bethel, um, was at Wheaton for three years, lived on campus for two years with juniors, with no RAs. Where are the RAs? Y'all are godsends, but I didn't have any, and I had 120 students in my care. Um, but it was still a good time. Before Wheaton, I was at Ball State. That's where my love for college began to develop. Um, I did my bachelor's at Ball State. I came in a music ed major, thought I would teach high school orchestra, and that changed. And I felt like a mid-college crisis. Um, but I changed to religion, and if I can just tell you, studying religion at a public school is not the same as like a BTS degree. I had one Christian professor, a lot of classmates who had had really bad experiences with Christians, and being in that program kept me in my word and on my knees because I never knew what I was going to encounter in the classroom. And so I had to learn not just to talk about loving my neighbor, but I had to actually learn how to do it. But one of the people who I met at Ball State who was a believer um, was a woman named Kayla. And this is me and Kayla, my first year of college. We lived in the same hall on the same floor. I was a first year student. Kayla was a third year student. We were both education majors, both first generation college students. We we're first gen students, trailblazers, trailblazers. Um, we were both from Indiana, from different cities, uh, but she was a new Christian and she wanted to build relationship with other believers. And so we started to connect and it wasn't long into our friendship when she told me that she'd never been friends with a black woman because she thought that black women were mean. 
And that was the first of many misunderstandings and frustrations in our friendship. I once in jest told her that she was greedy and she burst into tears because for her, coming from a working class community, greed was associated with being like money hungry and that really hit her in a way that I hadn't expected. And then there was the time when she told me that slavery and the civil rights movement had happened so long ago that they didn't impact black people anymore. And somebody said, what? This is, this is some, I, some, when I told someone about this, they're like, how could you let her get away with saying that? And I didn't correct her in the moment, though I would have been within my right to do so. But I did make it a matter for prayer. And a year later, she came to me in tears, apologizing for how wrong she had been. She knew that I was safe enough to be vulnerable enough to say that she was wrong. And so I'm talking to you about my friend Kayla because 15 years later, we are still friends. And to even share these stories with you today, I asked for her permission. She was in my wedding, I was in hers. We've been together through the birth of children, through the loss of parents. And this is a relationship that I value, um, even though it sometimes comes with difficulties. And so I want you to know today that intercultural friendships can be difficult, but absolutely worthwhile. And I know you might be saying, Leah, we're Gen Z. We're the most diverse generation that this country has ever seen. We care about social causes. I understand that. There's a North Central Gen Z woman in my home who's helping me understand Gen Z in new ways. I get that. But proximity and the aesthetics of diversity do not translate into personal relationship. And so what we are gonna talk about today is what actually intercultural relationships are, but also to understand why they matter for our faith, for our spiritual formation, for our gospel witness. So there are three, there's four main components of what it means to live into an intercultural friendship. What's it, what, what's it, how is it different than any other kind of friendship? In general, friendships are ongoing. So my master's degree is in missiology. I'm going to say this to you. If you encountered someone through a mission trip and you've not encountered them again, that's not intercultural friendship. Friendship is ongoing. Friendship is meaningful for both parties. And what it takes for a friendship to be meaningful looks different for different people. And so part of being in relationship together then is understanding what does a meaningful friendship look like to this person who I'm in relationship with? That means we gotta listen and we don't get to define it for them. The third piece is that it's more than an acquaintance, not just proximity. So you may have a roommate who culturally is different than you. Maybe culturally in terms of race or ethnicity, but maybe first gen, maybe rural and urban or suburban, maybe in terms of denominational differences, maybe language differences. 
It could show up in a lot of different kinds of ways. Um, but it's not just about being in the same space as each other, but actually growing in relationship with each other. And the fourth piece that I think distinguishes it from any other kind of friendship is that it happens with an outgroup member. So some of those identifiers I just talked about could be abilities, could be language, or it could be race, could be denomination, could be a number of others. It could be across generations. I'm a millennial. The Gen Z woman in my house is teaching me some things. But what, in order to understand what it means to be part of this um, connected with people from your out group means you have to understand the in-groups that you're part of. And so this process starts with an understanding of me. So to help you understand some of that, we're going to play a little game real quick. Okay? Y'all love for a quick game? Just real quick. Okay. So... I am going to give you three options for your preference. When I say go, I want you to make noise for your preference. And I'm going to tell you stop so we can keep it moving. Okay? Okay. So we're going to do two rounds. When I say go, so I'm going to tell you what they are. Don't start making noise yet. I'm telling you what they are. Okay? So the first category is your Thanksgiving dessert preference. Okay? So you got three options. You have sweet potato pie. See, y'all ain't following directions. <laughs> you got to have sweet potato pie, pumpkin pie, and neither. I realize we could talk about fry bread and we could talk about some other things that I'm not listing. For the sake of time, we're going to keep it moving. So first option is sweet, if you, sweet potato pie. If that's your option, go. Okay. Okay? Pumpkin pie. Neither. Go. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Okay. <laughs> okay, we have one more round. One more round. Okay. When I say go, you don't have three options. Mac and cheese as a side dish, mac and cheese as an entree, mac and, or neither, both, you don't care for either one, okay? So when you're ready, so when I say go, then, then claim your steak, okay? Are, are y'all ready? Okay, mac and cheese as a side dish. Okay, mac and cheese as an entree. And, 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 and how about neither? Okay. Okay. Thank you. This is good. This is good. Hey, hey. And this is, and this is the point, y'all. Like, this is culture. This is particular values, beliefs, traditions, stories, behaviors, preferences. This is what culture is about. 
Now, some of this is about personal preference, and personal preference is a personality. So when people say, I'm a, I'm a culture, the culture of me, no, that's a personality. Culture and personality aren't the same thing. But our personalities and our preferences are shaped by our culture, the environments that we grow up in. And so this is how that plays out. So how many of you for the dessert that you chose, it's in part reflective of the family you come from? Just raise your hand if that's true. This is culture. This is how it shapes us. Okay, so for me, mac and cheese is a side dish that's baked, but and I don't love sweet potato pie. Oh. Or pumpkin. And so this is fun and cool, like when we're doing this over trivial stuff, like sweet potato pie, mac and cheese. Even though y'all sound like y'all was finna, someone was finna pop off. <laughs> but, this is, but this is the issue, is what happens when people's preferences and traditions get merged with power? Now we're talking about Conditions that inhibit the possibility of intercultural friendships. And it's a human reality that we like to put people in boxes. And it's not new. And so we're going to look at a text in scripture that helps us gain a sense of the fact that we see it, we saw it in our game here. And, and we see it as far back as in the scriptures. So we're looking at Galatians 3 and 28. And it says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Anybody familiar with that text? Oftentimes this text is used to condone a colorblind theology. That is not the meaning of this text. This text is being spoken in a context where people wanted to have debate around what it meant to live into an authentic Christian expression. Do you have to take on all of the Jewish traditions? Some of them? What's, what's fair and legitimate? And Paul is speaking directly to what some people call the blessing of identity. And so in the morning time, Jewish men would pray, thank God I'm not a Gentile, I'm not a slave, and I'm not a woman. And even though some scholars say it was more about them embracing their responsibilities as Jewish men, Others debate that it was a reflection of the hierarchy of that society. Who had access, who had power, who didn't. It's not so fun as sweet potato pie and mac and cheese when it gets framed in these realities. And before we want to talk too bad about the church at Galatia, we continue to see this play out. So today... Less than 20% of our churches are multi-ethnic. And depending on the racial group that different women are coming from, we see a gap as much as 43 cents on the dollar that women make in comparison specifically to white men. 
And 2019 marks the 400th year of the first slaves coming to this country. And when I even think about, I study higher education, who has access to higher education? We continue to see disparities. What does that mean? It means we have limited opportunities to interact without group members. And it means instead of disrupting the status quo in the church, oftentimes we're perpetuating it. And it compromises our witness and it's contrary to who God has called us to be. I wanna give you one other piece that we'll come back to in a second um, to go with Galatians. And it's from Revelation 7 verse, um, verse nine specifically. And the author says, after I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe, nation, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. I say that this is, that Galatians 3 is not an affirmation of colorblind theology because the vision of heaven that we have is of every tribe, tongue, nation, and tribe, or excuse me, every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. How do I, how do I know what tribe somebody is from? How do I know what nation they're from? How do I know the languages they speak? By sight and sound. And if this is a vision of heaven and God sees fit to retain these realities in heaven, that ought to tell us that it matters to him. And if it matters to him, then we have responsibility to press into it. And what I just described in terms of some of our social realities right now does not say that we're doing it not in our society and not in the church, not in the ways that we could. So intercultural friendships are important because they are about a credible witness in the world. Oftentimes we think evangelism is about tracks. And y'all, I was trained to, to evangelize on the street using tracks. I get it. But oftentimes that isn't what people are looking for to understand what it means to follow Jesus. So it's about a credible witness. It's about remembering the body of Christ. And it's about ushering in the kingdom. This is why intercultural friendships are so important. Do you remember me talking about being a religion major? You know one of the number one things my classmates would say to me? Leah, we don't take Christians seriously. Your faith is not compelling because you say that you believe in a God who's reconciled to people, but y'all aren't even reconciled to each other. Our witness in the world is compromised when we can't live into this. I had to learn as a Christian in that space, I could say, well, I didn't do those awful things to other people. Or I could learn to say, you are right, and that is wrong, and those things should not have happened to you, and I'm sorry that they did. I had to learn to listen. That facilitates a credible witness. I don't have to agree with um, their theological positions to recognize that's not love of neighbor. We'll, we can keep going. When I say that it's about re, uh, remembering the body, 
this is not just about our witness in the world, but it's also our witness in the body. I've seen so many students. I worked in Christian higher ed for almost 10 years. I've watched so many students say, if this is what it means to follow Jesus, I want no part of it. Because our witness within the body has to be credible as well. How do we love one another? A healthy body tends to the needs of its hurting members. We don't dismiss it. We don't pretend like it's there. The hand doesn't say, I don't know what it's like to be a foot in pain. So sorry, you're hurting, but I can't help. When your body, if your body is healthy, when a body is in pain, it tends to that hurting member. How's that going at North Central, in your residence halls, on your leadership teams? How's that going? Are you tending to one another's needs? Are you dismissing those needs? Are you disrupting the status quo or are you perpetuating it? The, the last reason why this is so important is that it helps us to usher in the kingdom. This glimpse of heaven that we've talked about is not just about then and there. It's also about here and now. So when Jesus says for us to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, y'all know the Lord's Prayer. In the vision of heaven that we see is that every tribe, tongue, and nation is gathered together. And we know that this isn't just about proximity. What does it look like to pursue that vision right now? In doing so, we usher in the kingdom and we live into the call that Jesus has given to us. Y'all, and we get something so rich from it. I have a friend who said to me once, if we really believe that everybody is made in the image of God, then to know people across difference is to actually know God in new ways. We miss out when we opt out. So this is not just about proximity. And it's not about bombarding people who are different from you, like, oh, I got to go make some intercultural friends. What I want you to do is pause and to look at your in-groups. Who's in your in-groups? Who's present and who's not? Are people able to bring them, their full selves in relationship with you? I, don't, I can be honest with Kayla about what it's like to be a, an African-American woman raising black boys. My fears around policing for my sons. She doesn't dismiss me. And I continue to learn how to live into that as a Christian because I know that my preferences in our society are elevated over people who are different than me who don't carry the same religious values as I do. So my invitation to you is to take inventory, to do the self-reflection, to think about who's in and who's out in your circles, what you value and why you do, and how you can grow in that. It's risky, you will mess up, but we do it with grace, we do it with humility, and we do it trusting that God is, if God has called us to it, that he will sustain you in it. So I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll go. Lord Jesus.
you have called us to heavy things that are scary and that are contrary to our human nature. And I think that's part of why you call us to it, because if you didn't, we wouldn't do it on our own. But we thank you that you've modeled it for us. When we look at scripture, we see the ways that you disrupted the status quo, that you modeled that for us and for the disciples, that you've called us to it, that your spirit is alive in us and can empower us to do that work. But we also know that it takes some of that self-examination. Well, we embrace this as part of our spiritual formation, that to know you is to give these things to you. Would we trust that you are enough to sustain us through this, that it's not a one-shot deal, but it's a lifelong process of transformation? We believe and trust that you can, and we ask that you will, for the credibility and the witness of the gospel for the remembering of your body and so that we might usher in the kingdom. We thank you that you hear these prayers and you are more than able to fulfill them. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.